Welcome to the Rock Community Church. Pastor John Warehouse is teaching from the Book of Acts. Enjoy today's sermon. How are you all? Sorry you got the side view. Get my nose. Is that the worst? Uh, it's so good to see you all. Today we're going to have a very, uh, hopefully a very special service for each of us. Thanks, John. Um, we're going to have communion today. So I, I say that to you so that while we process through this message, when we go through what, um, what our Lord is trying to say to us out of this verse, we're in Acts chapter 2, and we're just in verse 42. And this is, we're going to spend another day in this verse, and then we'll move on. But um, the reason we need to spend some time in this wonderful verse is because the very essence of who we are as a church is wrapped up in this message. Um, so as I was saying, though, um, while I go through this message, while the Lord speaks to your heart, you might want to examine yourself as we're going to have communion at the end of the service. Now, as I say to you, this verse is essential to a church because, let's face it, think it through. Peter gave the first message, this the time of Pentecost. The message he gave was to repent. You need to have salvation. 3,000, we are told, responded to the message Therefore, the church began. Jews and Gentiles, both, all types of people, whether they're religious people or not so religious, those that responded to Jesus Christ, they were now incorporated into the church. And so there was a melting pot of people from all different um, lifestyles, all different backgrounds, and here they are now into what is called, they're going to learn in time, what we now know, the family of God, the church. So think it through. Peter's first admonition, is that the right way of using this word? The first encouragement he gives to these people is this is how the church is to function. And what we talked about last week was essential. Essential in the life of us who believe in Jesus Christ is that we are continually devoted. You'll see that in verse 42. We are to be continually devoted And so over and over again, without really understanding this verse, or really not thinking about this verse when I was saying all these things, when I was saying, I don't care how you began on your journey with the Lord, how you've come to Christ, when you came to Christ, um, what circumstances drew you to Christ, immaterial, doesn't matter to me. What matters to me, and is what we're going to see from Peter, what matters to The Bible, what it matters to our Lord, what it matters to the apostles, is how we finish. How do we complete this journey that we have now begun as believers? And so Peter says to the first foundation, the first church, he says, I want you to be continually devoted to. Now, what we're going to look at today is what makes the foundation of a church. What should the church be built upon? And Peter makes it crystal clear. Doesn't go off into these tangents of, of like denominations will do. All these things you gotta do and all these things you're not supposed to do. He just narrows it down to four things. As you'll see from scripture today in verse 42. In fact, let's look at verse 42. I've kinda almost put it to memory. It says this. Be continually devoted to the apostles teaching, fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. That's church. 
the very essence of what we are and what we want to design this church on is Acts chapter 2, verse 42. Everything else that spins out from this verse is, is maybe necessary. It's maybe essential in your life. Like, for instance, maybe there's a call on your life to, to go to reach a certain group of people. Maybe um, <clears throat> plumbers or, or, or dentists or the people in the inner city or, or people in, 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 in um, you know, high influential people. Whatever the Lord touches you on, that is a spinoff of what we are to be as a church. And our focus within these four walls ought to be the apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread or communion, and prayer. And that's, that's the guideline that Peter gave to this first church as he initiated what will they do, what are they to think of, how are they to become a church of believers. Now watch. This is really, to me, fun. Because watch how each one of these things ties into the next to to solidify how the church is to be as a, as a group of believers. Jeff, hi, brother. How are you feeling? I love you so much. Thanks for being here. You know, we've been praying for Jeff Allward, and uh, he's here in church. <laughs> you won't miss, will you? Well, we'll come to you when you can't come to us. <laughs> I love you so much. Thanks for being here. You're going to see... You're going to see today how these four things are, are like stepping stones upon one another. And they're essential. They're essential for the body of Christ. Let's pray. Father, we just read that one most powerful verse. A verse where uh, I believe makes up the very essence of what a true church is to be. Being continually devoted to the apostles' teaching to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Now, Father, help us to understand what that all means. Help us, as we mentioned last week, that we are to be continually devoted. Let us be a, a group of people that have given our hearts to you in such a fashion that we desire to be continually devoted to the things of God. But now, Father, let us learn what those things of God are. Let us learn what these things are that you have given to the apostles to teach to that generation and then to pass it along to where it eventually and finally comes to us. And may we be faithful, Father, to stay true to what you want from a church. May we not go off on these tangents and, 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 and programs and agendas that, that perhaps make uh, individuals happy. Rather, Father, let us stay centered on the very rock-solid foundation we have in Christ and the principles that you've set before us through Peter as he made made mention of this to the first church there in Jerusalem. Please, dear Father, open up our eyes, our hearts, that we might behold wonderful things from your law. Teach us this morning, we pray. Would you take the one, Father, who gives the message and Move me aside, Father, please. Let us sense that we have heard from your heart to ours, I pray in Jesus' most precious name. Amen. Well, as you can see, we're not so far off base. 
By that I mean, first thing that Peter puts into the very essence of a church is that they are to be continually devoted to the teaching of the apostles. Now, as we've already learned, if you've been with us through this book of Acts, we've already learned in the first chapter, second verse, Jesus Christ gave them orders of what to do and what to say and how to present it. He gave them orders and they followed those orders to a T. Just think for yourself for a moment. If you had the privilege of being Peter and you were going to present to the people 3,000 who made a response to come to Christ and you were given the responsibility to set up the church, think about what he is saying here right now. He is saying to them, I want you to be continually devoted to the teaching of the apostles, to fellowship, to breaking of bread, and to prayer. And Peter knew, as you and I would well know, and as Pastor West gave a wonderful example this week, talking to us as a staff, if you were to start off at San Pedro and you wanted to go to Catalina Island and you just, you set your compass and it was foggy, let's say, or whatever, and you sent your, uh, I don't know, is it compass? Compass. Uh, how you go. And you sent it and it's a degree off and you take off. By the time you get there to Catalina, you'll just miss the island. You'll just go right by it. And so Peter had to make certain that what he was telling the people there at, uh, in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost, that it wasn't a degree or two off, that it held straight on course. This is what we're to be continually devoted to. First and foremost, he says, I want you to be devoted to the apostles' teaching. By the way, not just any teaching. Not the apostles' ideas of what they think Christianity is to look like. No, they weren't given that privilege. Not to a denomination, not to certain do's and don'ts within a denomination, or, or, or not to fit into the ideology of the, of the society in which they lived. They weren't to bring the society into the church. They were to take the church and move it into the society. And so the Word of God that you're holding in your lap right now, is as current for your salvation and is as current as you're walking with God as it was when Jesus Christ and the apostles taught it. The church, you and I, we are not called to make this, the Bible, current with today's society, today's values. Let's face it, today's society and today's values are much different than they were some years ago. If my dad were to, were to come back to life, he's been dead now since 86, 85. If he came back now, and, and some of the things we see on television as a, just a general rule, and, and, and some of the things we see in billboards, my dad would be probably shocked beyond his wildest dream that this society has gone to where it is today. You and I are not called to bring the society into the church and make it current with this. We have been called to take this into the society and make them blend in with this, not the other way around. And churches today, they're just, that's their call. Their call is some, you know, this, what's going on out there in the world is really changing. And let's face it, if you have ever talked to a non-believer, they think you and I are crazy. I mean, that you would come to church, that you've gotten up early this morning, wash, you know, put on deodorant, fix yourself up, and come and sat down in a church building 
and you're going to listen to some big nose, bald-headed guy speak for about a few minutes, and you're going to, you're going to, you, you think that's going to set your life straight? What are you, crazy? They think we're nuts. And churches, a lot of them think, well, they know what they're thinking out there. So rather than letting them think that we're nuts, let's kind of soften what we do in here so if and when they do come in, they won't be shocked. That's not our call. Our call is to be what God has asked us to be when He told Peter and the other apostles way back then in Jerusalem, and we're not to vary from that. That's not our job. Our job is to preach the Word of God. Our job is to be conformed into what God wants us to be. So God designed the church, first and foremost, to be a place where His Word is taught and explained. Look with me at 2 Timothy chapter 2, just for a moment. Hold your place in Acts. We're going to jump around a little bit. As you can see up on the, on the, the thing, you can, if you want to kind of... Um, we won't go... We won't, I'm not going to have you turn to every place. But just so you'll know, some cross-references to what I'm trying to teach, you'll see it on the board up there. By the way, that is really nicely done. Nice going, Ken. Nice job, dude. You are a tech... No guy. <laughs> you are. I really look, he's embarrassed. He just dove underneath the wall. So if we'll go over some of these things. Second Timothy chapter two, Paul says this to Timothy. You're going to note five groupings of people within this one verse. Second Timothy two two. Watch. He says, Paul. The things which you, now he's talking to Timothy, that's one, Timothy, you. The things that you, Timothy, have heard from me, Paul, that's two. Now there's two groupings of people. He says, in the presence of many witnesses, that's three. In other words, what I have taught you, Timothy, Paul says, I didn't do it in a vacuum. There were many witnesses to see what I said to you. These things, he says... These things that I've taught you in the presence of many witnesses, I want you to entrust them to faithful people, men and women. That's four. So that these faithful men and women will also be able to teach who? Others also. Five groups of people. That's the way the Bible was to work. But the Bible was to work, Paul said, the things that I taught you, Timothy, I want you to entrust these things to faithful people who will in return trust what you taught them to other people. And so it goes, on and on it goes. And you and I have not been given the privilege to change that that setup. A commitment to the apostles' teachings is foundational. It's foundational, folks, to your growth and your spiritual health. You need the teaching of the Word of God. We must be presented the Word of God here within the church so that we will grow spiritually and so that we will be spiritually healthy people. And that is current for every church, every generation, every person. The early church sat under the teaching of the apostles. Those are the words that you find written within your Bible. We're to teach those same principles. And these words are to be taught by every single pastor and every single church in every single generation. There is no exceptions, none whatsoever. You can search the scriptures. There are no exceptions. And so church wasn't to be an entertainment center. It never was called to be that. 
Church was called to be a place that you and I would grow in our faith. That we would be mature as believers. Look with me at 1 Timothy chapter 4. While you're looking at 1 Timothy chapter 4, you'll know it. I skipped over 1 Peter 2 and Romans 12. Let me read them to you. Please listen. Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 2, I want you like newborn babies to long for the pure milk of the word. By it, by the word of God, you may grow in respect to salvation. Paul said similar words. In 12, Romans 12:12, 12, 12, no, excuse me, Romans 12:2, Paul said, "Don't be conformed to the world. Don't be conformed to those people out there, but rather be transformed how? By the renewing of your mind, in other words, by studying the word of God, so that you might prove what the will of God is, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect." In 1 Timothy chapter 4, listen to what Paul teaches Timothy. Excuse me, let me find it. I marked it so I wouldn't have to. Okay, 1 Timothy chapter 4. Look at verse um, 6. Paul says to Timothy, in verse 6, In pointing out these things to the brethren, you will be a good servant of Jesus Christ. Watch. Constantly nourished on what? The words of the faith and the sound doctrine that you have been following. Look at verse 11. He says, I want you to prescribe and I want you to teach these things. Look at verse 13. Until I come, I want you to give attention to the public reading of Scripture. I want you to give attention to exhortation. And I want you to give attention to teaching. Do not, verse 14, do not neglect the spiritual gift within you, which was bestowed upon you through prophetic utterance with the laying on of hands by the presbytery. Listen to verses 15 and 16. He says, Paul says to Timothy, take pains with these things. Be absorbed in them so that your progress may be evident to all. Stop just for a second. Your progress might be evident to all. Your progress means your growth. So that your growth will be evident to all people. We're going to learn as we go next week further into Acts chapter 2 that it was their progress, the progress of the church that found favor with the people in the community. So much so that God was bringing people from the community into their church and there were a number of people being saved day by day by God entrusting people into that body of believers. As I've said to you over and over again, I say again because the Word says it. I'm not, I'm not, I don't care. I don't think the Lord cares. I don't think Paul cares. I don't think Peter cares how you and I began our faith. How you've come, what made you come. Maybe it was a traumatic situation in your life. Something that shook you to the very core. Maybe it was nothing of the kind. Maybe it was just an enlightening moment that you wanted to come to Christ. How, when, why, all of that, I don't care. I don't believe the Bible cares. But what the Bible cares is how you and I progress in our faith. How do we finish? More than anything, when I get... Listen, when I get to heaven, I've already asked the Lord, I don't want to have a speaking, I don't want to speak, I don't want to do any of those things that might be up front. I just want to... My, 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 I don't know what heaven's going to be like. I really don't. But I, I want to just observe. I really want to watch. 
And I want to, one of the things I long for, now this is crazy, but I think about it all the time. I'd love to be sitting on the side and watch the Lord, you know, kind of grab you by the cheeks and say, well done, well done, you served, the, you served me on, on this, well done, my good and faithful servant. And I want to watch him say, enter into the joy of your peace. And I want to sit there and just weep with joy over all of us as we progress, as we move along in our faith so that we finish this this, this wonderful journey we have as believers more strongly than when we began so that we really catch them, the, the whole essence of being a believer so that we would be continually devoted to the things of God. And so we're to progress. So Paul says to Timothy in verse 16, therefore I want you to play, pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Persevere in these things, for as you do this, you're going to ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you. And that's my call to ministry. That's my verse. I want to take care of what I learn. You know, I, I, I do study hard because I'm not smart. I have to. I have to dig and I have to find out what is this saying so that I don't take a a degree this way or a degree that way. I kind of hold true. That's why Dr. McGee is one of my heroes. I've entrusted that he's smart, you know, and I've I've watched what he teaches. and, And then I team him up with people like Chuck Smith and John MacArthur. And I see, are they moving in the same direction? Okay, that's where I'm going. I'm not out there to carve a new path. I'm, I'm just a person in the wake of a big steam, uh, steam liner that's, that's already moving and I'm trying to stay in that wake because I want to take care of what I teach to preserve salvation for myself and for you. It's my joy. It's my life. It's, I want you to come to Christ. I want you to walk with Christ. I want you to be continually devoted to the things of God so that we could be a church. God, please let us be a church that makes an impact in our society. If you turn back to Acts chapter 2, Hosea says it. You don't have to turn there. Hosea 6, 4, 6 says this. Hosea says, my people are destroyed for a lack of... Do you know what the next word is? Lack of what? Knowledge. Knowledge. Way to go. I love it. Same thing for a service. They knew. I wouldn't have known. I mean, I knew because I studied it. My people, Hosea says, they're destroyed because of a lack of knowledge. I had the privilege of sitting across the table from uh, Pastor Chuck Smith, and, I, and we were talking about different things of the church, and, and we were talking about different church movements, and he said, you just keep teaching the Word, John. That's what God's called us to do. And he said to me, you know, I believe with all my heart that this new movement of seeker-friendly churches and churches that are, are trying to conform themselves so that the world will feel comfortable, he says, I think they're going to usher in the Antichrist because he said, this is his words, they wouldn't know him when he walked in the front door. He says, but we need churches that will recognize evil from good, will recognize false doctrine from true doctrine, a church that is is grounded upon the Word of God. And Hosea, way back in the Old Testament, said, my people are destroyed because of a lack of knowledge. Listen, a church cannot operate on truth that is not taught. How are you and I to know how we're to act and react as believers in Christ if we've not been taught the truth? We can't function on principles that we've never learned 
The most dedicated of us ought to be like those in Acts chapter 17, verse 11. They're called the Bereans. It says that they were more noble-minded than the Thessalonians. You know why they were more noble-minded? It says because with eagerness they accepted the Word of God and they examined daily. Daily they examined the things that they were taught. That's what I want you and me to be like. I don't want you to take what I say for gospel without opening up your Bible, looking in your Bible, saying, John, is that right? Look, look, is that right? How does it line up with what is in here? You and I are to be like Bereans. We're to, we're to study the Word of God. We're to get to know the Word of God so that we can examine it daily. And our Lord says, those are the people who are noble-minded. Those who understand the Word of God. Second attribute, Acts chapter 2, verse 42. Watch how they fit together. The second attribute of a church is fellowship. The basic meaning, the Greek word for fellowship is koinonia, K-O-I-N-O-N-I-A. It means to partnership or to share with one another. Fellowship is the spiritual duty of believers to inspire one another to holiness, faithfulness, bottom line. Your ministry, fellowship with one another, sharing, participating with us as a believer, as church, your ministry is to help us grow, help me grow. Everyone who accepts Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior become partners with Him, family of God, children of God. But not only the Bible teaches that you and I become partners with our Lord, we become partners with one another. We are all a part of this family of God. And we are all to be partners, sharing uh, Helping each other grow in our faith. Paul, I mean, John said as much. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 3, he says this, What we have seen and what we have heard, we proclaim to you. In other words, he is doing what Peter said he's to do. He is to proclaim what the Lord said for him to proclaim, not his ideas, but what the Lord says we ought to teach. And so John says, what, what we have seen, we heard, we proclaim to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And he says, indeed, our fellowship was the, is with the Father and with the Son. And so our fellowship, our partnership, our sharing with one another is that we come, become a body of Christ together. In other words, we need one another. Watch how that fits. Peter has just got an accumulation of Jews and Gentiles, 3,000 who accepted the Lord. Jews and Gentiles who, who mixed like water and oil. And all of a sudden he is saying, we are to be in this together. We need you, you need us. We all need one another for our growth. We are to have fellowship. We are to have sharing a partnership with one another. John MacArthur, in his brilliant commentary, writes this about our duty as believers. He says, For a Christian to fail to participate in the life of a local church is inexcusable. He says, In fact, those who choose to isolate themselves are disobedient to the direct command of Scripture. We need one another. I want, to, I want, to, I want you to turn to some places now because I want to show you from the Word of God. Look at Hebrews chapter 10. First, 
and then we'll look at Ephesians, and then we'll look at 1 Corinthians. In Hebrews chapter 10, let me see if I can keep track of where I'm going to go here. Yeah. In Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25, it charges us to consider, watch, consider how to, are you there yet? Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24. It says in verse 24, let us consider how to, watch, stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Within the body of Christ, this is what he's talking about now, within the body of Christ, you and I were to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Verse 25, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, But rather, he says, we are to encourage one another. And all the more, he writes, as you see the day drawing near. But the bottom line is, the bottom line for us gathering together is we're not to forsake it. We're to gather together every time we can, always gathering together to stimulate one another to love and good deeds and to encourage one another. Ephesians chapter 4, please. Ephesians chapter 4. Look at the body of Christ is to do. In chapter 4 of Ephesians, verse 11, the Bible says that God gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers. Now, he gave those, he mentions those because there are a lot more things that he gave to the church, but those were the teaching ministries within the church. Those were the people that were to well, as we're going to see in the next verse, to equip the church. Here's the reason he gave pastors. Here's the reason he gave teachers and evangelists and prophets and apostles in those days. Verse verse 12, for the equipping of us, the saints, for the work of service, so as to build up the body of Christ. You and I have been taught the Word of God so as to equip ourselves for the work of service, that is the ministry that God has called us to do, and to build up the body of Christ. Until, it says in verse 13, we have all attained to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son and of God, so that we become mature people to the measure of stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, when we grow in maturity, we will no longer be children tossed here and there by waves and and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men and the craftiness and deceitful schemings. In other words, we're going to know the difference between right and wrong. We're going to know what God wants of us when we equip one another. He says in verse 15, speak the truth in love. We are to grow up in all aspects unto him who is the head, even Christ. Look, verse 16, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by that which every joint supplies. Folks, every joint supplies means every single one of us is to supply something for the benefit of the church. Every single one of us is called to do something to hope to, to equip the church, to build us up goes on to say this, according to the proper working note of each individual part causes the growth of the body for the building of of itself in love. Folks, whether you like it or not, you need me and I need you and we need one another. That's fellowship, partnership. That's sharing 
the essence of what church is supposed to be. Look with me now at 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And hold your place in 1 Corinthians, because in a moment we're going to turn to chapter 11. But look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And, and again, Paul is going to tell you and me how necessary we are within the body of Christ. In verse 12, it says, For even, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12, For even as the body is one and yet has many members, that's all of us, and all of the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit, we have all been baptized into one body. Whether we be Jew or Greek, whether we be slave or free, we were all made to drink of one spirit. In other words, we all have blended together. Different societies, different uh, uh, social structures, different races. We are to blend together and be a family. It says in verse 14, the body is not one member, it's many. It goes on to say in verses 15 and 16, if the foot should say, I'm not a hand, therefore I'm not a part of the body, he's saying that's, that's not correct. And he says in verse 16, if the ear says, because I'm not an eye, I'm not a part of the body, he says, that's not correct either. He says, if the whole body, verse 17, if the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? And if the whole hearing were, and if the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But now, he says, watch, but now God has placed the members, each one of us, into the body just as he desired. Folks, he has placed you here and he has done it for a reason. He wants you to equip. He wants you to help share. He wants you to have fellowship with one another so that we can be all that God wants us to be. We are to be a part of the body. Turn back to, oh, hold your place here, but look back at Acts. Or you don't need to look at Acts if you don't want to, because the third thing, number one, we're to, we're to stay steady to the apostles' teaching because we're not to go off course. Number two, we're to have fellowship with one another. One another. That means we are to share in the burdens of the church. We are to help equip one another. We're to stimulate each other for growth. We need one another. Thirdly, we're to break bread. The breaking of the bread was talking about the celebration of communion, the Lord's Supper. The reason you and I, now watch how this fits. Watch how Peter, this is, this is of God. Watch how it all fits. The reason you and I take communion are for many reasons. First and foremost reason is Jesus says, whenever you take of this, do this in what? In remembrance of who? Of me. The reason we are to take communion is to remind ourselves who is our God? Who is the one that we love? Who is the one that we worship? We take communion so that we have this sense of who God is. And so when we do communion, and we will in about five or ten more minutes, when we take communion, one of the essence of taking communion is for you to remember. To remember the very essence of who is God? What does Jesus Christ mean to you? He has given His life for you. You can go through all the things that you might remember about Him. But take those things into consideration. All that He has done for you. But one of the other reasons for communion is that we are to examine ourselves. As we're going to see in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, we are never to take communion haphazardly. The reason that I believe that God, through Peter, put communion into an essence of a church is so that we would examine one another and we would purify ourselves from sin. 
but not only just ourselves from sin, but let's say for, God forbid, that I would have something against Jimmy. Let's say for some, for instance, that I, 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 I gossiped about him and I told people a lie about him because I was upset with him. Or I told him something and I later found out it was a lie. Before I would ever be able to take communion, I would have to examine myself and come to the conclusion that I hurt my, my brother in Christ. I hurt him. And I need to go to him and ask for forgiveness. But more, I need to go to the people that I said something incorrectly about him to and tell them, you know, I was wrong. I was in sin when I told you that. I shouldn't have done that. The essence of communion was to keep the body of Christ together so that there would be no division, so that we would have a way of purifying ourselves with one another so that we would not go off base. Face it. Let's face it. Think it through. What's the, you know what the first thing that Satan would love to do with this place? And by God, he is trying to attack us. He would love to make division in this church. He'd love for it to be, you know, so that the people out there in the world says, look at those Christians. They can't even get along. And they're asking us to come to church. Why are they nuts? I have more fun in my bar than I do in the church. That's why I hated it. It was a bittersweet. I, I loved watching, but I hated Cheers. Remember that old series, Cheers? You know, everybody knows your name. Come in. You have a, everybody was, they were fine in there. They were dysfunctional, but they were fine. The church should be a place where we know and love one another. And communion is that. It's a reminder to ourselves, who is our Lord? Is He our Savior? If He's our Savior, is He your Lord? If He's your Lord, is He in control of your life? And you can go through that whole exercise as you're about to take communion. I told you, let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Let, let Paul explain it far greater than me. He says in verse 23 of 1 Corinthians chapter 11, he says, I received from the Lord that which also I deliver to you. Well, okay, just that part of this verse is enough. In other words, I'm not telling you my thoughts. What I received from God, I'm telling you. That's it, bingo. But anyways, that's, that's not what he is basically saying here. He said that the Lord Jesus, in the night that he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. When we take communion in a little while, it's the first thing I'm going to ask you to do. Remember, who is the Lord in your life? What is He asking of you to do? Then after He had given thanks, verse 24, He broke it, said, this is my body. Verse 25, In the same way, He took the cup also. After supper, He said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it, in remembrance of me. Now what we've learned from that is the new covenant that you and I have is the forgiveness of our sins. He went to the cross. He shed his blood. His blood was shed for the forgiveness of your sins and my sin. That was a wonderful new covenant. Once and for all, your sins are forgiven. He died for each one of us. He says then in verse 27, Therefore, therefore, since you... For you do all this thing. No, verse 26. As often as you eat this bread and as often as you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and of the blood of the Lord. Rather, he says in verse 28, 
Let each person examine themselves. And so let them eat the bread and drink the cup. The person who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself if he doesn't judge the body rightly or correctly. The reason for communion, as you can now see it starting to fit together, is so that the body of Christ will function as it ought to function. So there be no division within the body of Christ. We're to learn the Word of God so that we might grow. We are to have fellowship with one another so that we can support and encourage one another and use our gift within the body of Christ to help the the body grow. And we are to have communion so as to examine ourselves so that there not be any sin that is lingering within our our hearts that we, uh, we have either for ourselves or for another person. And then finally, finally, word of prayer. Prayer is the the very essence that moves the muscles of God within the family of God. Understanding the loss that the disciples were about to have when Jesus was going to go away, he said to them in John chapter 14, verses 13 and 14, whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, so that the Father might be glorified in the Son. He says, if you ask anything in my name, I'll do it. Key to that prayer is asking in the name of Christ. That means in his character, the very essence of who he is. You and I don't have the right to ask for a stretch limo and expect, well, Lord, where is it? I've been praying for two weeks. Where is it? Well, you know, stretch limo for me might not be in the will of God. I am to pray according to the will of God in his name. The first church understood that promise as truth. They relentlessly pursued divine help in all that they did and all that they needed. We're going to see it unfold as we study through the book of Acts. Well, sadly, today, prayer is, is neglected within a church. You, you, you know, tonight, if we say we're going to have an entertainment, some sort of entertainment here, I, we probably would draw a few, quite a few people. But if tonight I say, you know, we're going to have a prayer meeting, there will probably be only the faithful few that come. Now, I'm not, I'm not begrudging. I, I think there are people that are the faithful few. And they are to pray. Don't lose heart. I've had some say to me, you know, nobody seems to come when we have prayer meetings. So what? You're there, aren't you? I remember when I was called to do the ministry with the athletes and and, and when I went to chapel, sometimes only one person came to chapel. I never complained. So what? After a few years, from one person grew to five to ten to almost the whole team came. I think God wanted to see if I was going to be faithful even though only one person came. Prayer is the muscle of the church. I think God knew this. You know, when, when we got this building, there was absolutely no way. I know most, if not all, of you prayed for this place. I want you to know your prayers were answered. There is no way that we could have done what was done here by human power. And I think this place will always be a reminder to every single one of us that this was done by the hand of God, not by people. Yes, he used people that worked tirelessly to do it, but it was still done by God. We cannot take credit for what he has done here. Prayer moves the muscle of God. So the first first church knew this was their spiritual duty. Their spiritual duty was to be continually devoted to the things of God. The things of God, simple. Study the Word of God. 
I'm going to come down. I'm not going to jump on you or anything. Unless I fall, catch me. Uh, we're going to have communion. Guys, you can come forward and, and we can start passing it out. Because I'd love for us to get out on time. First church knew that they were to be continually devoted. That's why I said last week, the body of Christ is to be made up about believers in Jesus Christ. People who are devoted to the things of God. Mickey and, and guys, you can start passing out even now while I'm speaking. Is that all right? Yeah, I would like one. Thank you so much. Hey, I love you. That's not necessary. Yes, it was. <laughs> not for you, but for me. Um, the first church knew what's their call. Their call was to be continually devoted to the teachings of the Word of God. They were to be continually devoted to help support the church in, in any way that they could through the, through the gifts that the Lord God has given to every one of us that have ever come to Christ. We have been given a spiritual gift. Then to make sure that the church would function and, and run on all cylinders, there was to be communion from time to time so that we could examine ourselves. We could remember who the Lord is, what He's done in our midst, and also we could examine ourselves to see if there be any sin in us. And more importantly, that we would not have a sin against someone that we, we have within the body of Christ if we've done wrong. And we can go to that person, whoever it might be, and say, you want to ask your forgiveness I shouldn't have done that or whatever. And by the way, the Bible says, you know, before you, uh, you go and, and put your things, give, give unto the Lord at the altar, you leave your things at the altar and go make, make things right with your brother. You know, when Jesus said to the disciples, look, this is how people are going to know you and I, you belong to me, he said. If you've got love for one another, by your love for one another, everyone's going to know you're a disciple of mine. Satan understands that. He would love nothing more and cause division within the body of Christ. And so after we are devoted to the teaching, to fellowship, and to communion, we're to pray. Pray without ceasing. Pray for each other. Pray for your families, your loved ones, this church, whatever it is that's in your heart. So we're going to have a little bit of quiet. You might examine your own heart, some soft music, and then I'll lead us in communion.
Father, as we uh, hold the, the bread and the, the juice in our hands, uh, may we remind ourselves of what you've done for us. Just imagine. Imagine that you would sitting at that table and you're just looking at the Lord and, and he's saying, as often as you eat this bread, remind yourself of me. Think of me. Think of all that I've done for you. And so as we now take the bread, may we do it in remembrance of our wonderful Savior. After supper, our Lord poured out some wine and gave some to each person there. And he says, this cup is my blood. It's a new covenant. The new covenant that our Lord has given to us was the, the very privileges of privilege, and that is to have our sins forgiven by the act that he did when he went to the cross and shed his blood for us. And so he said, remember me when you do this. Remember that I have forgiven you your sin. And we are taught in Scripture that if our Lord has so wonderfully forgiven us, should we not and can we not forgive others so that we can live together in peace and in unity? And so, Father, as we take of this juice now, Father, may we do it remembering that you've forgiven us our sins, reminding us, Father, of who you are. Dear Father, as you take us from this place, this church that you have so graciously given to us, may we walk with you. May we be a people that are continually devoted to the things that are yours, the very essence that Peter said was a church to the teaching of the apostles, our fellowship with one another, our breaking of bread and therefore examining ourselves and purifying the church, purifying our own lives. And then prayer, that we can pray for one another and for whatever needs that we might have. Now, Father, will you bless us as we go? Let the people know how much I love them, please. In Jesus' name, amen. I love you all. Have a great day. Thanks.